It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. African lion populations have decreased by nearly 70% in the past 50 years. Were it not for some courageous activists, that number might be even more catastrophic. Under the spiritual guidance of a wise medicine woman who saved her life in the African wilderness, Linda Tucker abandoned her high-powered career to return to the Pride Lands and follow her destiny as an appointed keeper of the white lions. African Sangomas, who are the indigenous African priests, recognize white lions as the direct messengers of the divine, embodying a sacred essence that balances our planet's ecosystems and brings true leadership among living beings. Today, we're joined by Linda Tucker, an amazing ecological activist, and we'll be exploring her quest to save the white lions from extinction. Linda Tucker grew up in South Africa during apartheid and attended the universities of Cape Town in South Africa and Cambridge in the United Kingdom. In 2002, she founded the Global White Lion Protection Trust, an organization that works not only to protect the white lions, but also the indigenous communities and knowledge of the Songa and Sepeti cultures, which celebrate the white lion as a sacred living heritage. She's a guest speaker at international conservation congresses, and her work has been featured in documentaries produced by National Geographic and Animal Planet. She, along with her partner, lion ecologist Jason A. Turner, live in a protected area neighboring South Africa's Timbavadi Reserve, where the white lion prides have been reintroduced into the wild. She's the author of Saving the White Lion, One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animal. Join us for the next hour as we explore the perilous struggle to protect the sacred white lion from the trophy hunting industry with our guest, Linda Tucker. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Linda, welcome. Thank you, Justine. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you. I'm, I'm just fascinated, fascinated by your story and your perseverance. And I would love to begin our, our talk today, our dialogue today. Can you tell us something about your early years and growing up in South Africa under apartheid? Well, you know, it was a system that favored certain racial groups over others. Um, and so the large majority of the country had no real rights, which meant 
in, in reality, they couldn't come to beaches, they couldn't come to libraries. The schooling system was inferior for, for the large majority who were the, 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 the black tribes of South Africa. And they were not allowed into the wildlife areas of South Africa, which was their heritage. So growing up in this context was traumatic for all parties involved uh, because as a sensitive child, I was very aware of the injustice but I could do nothing about it. I was, you know, it was a system, an entrenched system. So I felt very helpless. And I have to make the comparison. It felt very similar to my first visit to a zoo in South Africa where I saw a lion behind bars. And this magnificent creature was pacing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, uh, mindlessly, desperately. And I just remember feeling helpless. So that was the ex experience of growing up in such an unjust system. I, I left the country um, because I, I felt incapable of making a difference. And then I, I excelled outside South Africa in Cambridge University and, uh, and then went into a career of fashion and advertising and, you know, glamour. Um, but I didn't forget this country. It's a very powerful place, South Africa. So... I returned occasionally and went into the wilderness area, and that's where the big event happened that changed my life. Well, I really, I know uh, reading that big event and was just so powerful, and I'd love to have you share it with our listeners, if you would, please. Well, it's, you know, it's almost a legend you would tell around a fireside tale. It's hard to believe that it was true. But if you can picture one dark night in Africa, 1991, the 10th of November, under the African stars, there was no moon. A group of us, a group of friends, found ourselves trapped in the middle of a pride of lions in an open vehicle, you know, a jeep, very low to the ground, accessible to nature. And it had broken down. We'd bust the steering shaft and we couldn't get out of the situation. And the lions closed in, 24 of them. Pitch dark, the sun had just set and there was no moon. So we also had no radio contact, no cell phone contact. No one knew where we were. And the problem was that people started to panic. And when humans panic, they become prey and lions become lions. And you, can you hear the lions? We had a spotlight attached to the battery of the vehicle and we'd hear a snarling, spin round, shine the spotlight and there was a, a, a snarling lion in a crouch ready to spring onto the vehicle. And then, you know, then we'd hear a rustle in the trees nearby. But this, would the spotlight kind of stop it, them? It would catch, momentarily. No, no, well, it would no. catch, well, momentarily possibly, but it would catch their eyes glinting in the light. And, you know, 24 lions all around us, people were saying, but there's another sound here. And the spotlight would come and illuminate another angry lion. Well, you must have felt like this was all over then. That, um, like, Truly. I mean, it was felt like is... your worst nightmare, only it was real. And that reminds me of a recurring nightmare that you did have, which we'll talk about in just one moment, but please go on. Well, there was no way out of that situation. People were suggesting stupid things. I mean, the man in front of me was standing up, waving his arms around. You can imagine from a lion's perspective how funny that looked. And um, we were meat in an open butcher shop. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> someone said, why don't we light a fire, you know? And someone else said, well, why don't you get out and get the wood? Right. Right. You know, oh, yes. what, what was the solution? There actually was no solution. 
And of course, the light was starting to fade. So what is worse, seeing a, a big cat leap into the vehicle and pulling someone off or not seeing it and just hearing, you know, the sounds? It was grisly. I've never known fear like that. And, and communal fear is much more than, you know, private, private fear. And you're giving off that. that energy of fear. I mean, it's you a, smell you like can fear. smell. Absolutely, they smell the fear. Absolutely, they, you are definitely prey by that Absolutely. time. Absolutely. And then a miracle happened. A woman came walking on foot with a baby strapped to her back in the traditional Tsonga way, and she had a little boy in front of her, and they were walking in almost a trance through the lions. And the lions became calm. And this woman climbed up into the vehicle in front of me and sat holding power. Now, that changed everything. The man in front of me who had been panicking before suddenly became a hero. She had passed, if you like, she would passed a flame of courage onto him. He seized it and he said, stay where you are. He grabbed the, he grabbed the um, wheel spanner and said, I'm going to go back for help. And he took the child with him, and they stepped back into the pride of lions who were now completely calm. The spotlight had faded, so we couldn't see now, but they were completely calm. And this man walked some distance and returned about an hour and a half later to, to rescue us with a, with a, a vehicle that he'd found in, an, in a camp. And that man happened to be my sister's boyfriend at the time, and my sister said to him, I'll marry you. <laughs> and he is a hero and they've lived happily ever after oh, and that's their story that's what happened that night for them but for me something else happened because it was as if this amazing lion-hearted woman gave me a flame I mean she she lit a flame in me but it took me much longer to respond because I went back to my life in advertising and glamour and so you went back to Europe, Paris, absolutely, England, and you know it was yes. it was a it was a superficial life. Um, you know, advertising is branding, making people buy products they don't want. But this all seemed so artificial after this this um, near death experience in Africa. And finally, one day, you know, the, the the flame exploded in my face, and I realized I had to give it all up. I had to give up my life, my job, my husband, all the comforts that I'd had and returned to Africa to track down this extraordinary lion-hearted woman. And who was she? Well, it turned out that she was known as the Lion Queen of Timbavati. And Timbavati is the only place on earth, it's a wilderness area, the only place on earth where these magical white lions have been born by natural occurrence. And as she... As she told me when I, when I arrived, it was as if she'd been waiting for me those three years. And when I arrived, she, she said through an interpreter, she said, huh, it's taken you a long time to wake up. Because so she recognized something <laughs> yes, in you. Yes. And, and now, now she's an indigenous black African woman, medicine woman in a lineage. And you are a white, African, South African woman, um, that in itself is an, is an oddity that she's saying she waited for you. Can you tell us what that was and how 
that occurred? An absolute oddity. It, and, and then we started working together and bit by bit, um, it's a long story, I tell it in, in my book, but events happened that proved to her that I was her successor. Um, and when she finally handed the title over to me, you know, my, my first response was, but you belong to the Tsonga pride and I'm a white woman. I don't, how can I be your successor? And her response to that was anger because she said, you know, we've come through apartheid, black and white, and you're still talking the same way. You are my star daughter. I've been waiting for you and this is your responsibility to protect the most sacred animals on the African continent, the white lions. And she said, do you know what happened that night when you were screaming for fear and do you know what happened? There was a lioness giving birth to cubs in the riverbed nearby and a, and one of those lions was a snow white lion. All the others were golden, but the lioness carried the secret code. And she said, you were screaming. You thought the, the lions were attacking you, but you were invading their sacred space and you didn't even know that. Oh, my. I, I'm here with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions, One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animal. And we'll go on with this story in just one moment. If you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to the website whitelions.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions, One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animals. And she's the founder of the Global White Lion Protection Trust. Uh, Linda, we were, we were just talking about how you became then the holder of this tradition, this white lion, actually priestess almost, I want to say, but or medicine woman. And that's an ancestral thing. And we were talking about how you as a white woman are given the the mantle of this from your teacher. And how was, was that accepted by others? By did did you become recognized beyond your your Maria, this this person who passed it on to you? Well, it's a very it's a very valid question you, you asked, Justine, because um, you know Europeans have have appropriated uh, so much of the globe and and uh, er erased a lot of cultures uh, of First Nations people, and so it's a sensitive question, of course. So, uh, in this particular case, 
it was it was very interesting because um, what she said to me is she said, you're not going to be following my traditions as such. You you are going to have to live the role of the Lion Queen, which is a very dangerous um, commitment because you have to protect these animals against uh, trophy hunters, against, um, you know, international cartels that are linked with gun running, child prostitution rings, trade in animal parts. So it wasn't, the title that she handed over to me wasn't, kind of mimicry. I, I was not copying her in any way. I was taking over an ancient responsibility of the priesthood who protects sacred sacred animals with her life. You know, I, I was committing my life to their protection. You had and mentioned in your book and your story, you grew up with a recurring dream of, of lions, which was not an easy dream. It was a nightmare. Can you say something about that recurring dream? Absolutely. And that was from a child. You know, I, I would wake up screaming because a lion was standing over me, roaring at me, breathing into my face. And, you know, I'd scream at him and he'd roar at me. And, of course, when I returned to Maria Corsa, the Lion Queen of Timbavati, as, as her name was, I returned to her and started training with her. This dream continued and it recurred and eventually I had to tell her about it and instead of getting her sympathy she laughed at me and she said well why do you think he's roaring at you because you're screaming at him he'll stop roaring when you start listening to him and then you then he'll become your friend so in essence she turned my perspective 360 degrees just as she did about that terrifying night with the lions because she was saying we were invading their space. No wonder they were angry. And the reason she could walk through their midst, very angry lions, was because she was showing them love and respect, which is all nature asks of us. So once she explained my dream that I was screaming at my lion instead of listening to him, then he stopped roaring and we started working together, um, he being my spirit guide. And and he, that lion, actually turned out to be a, an actual real physical lion that, that you, you met in, later on. Can you say something about him? Yes, I can, because that was actually one of the signs that told Maria that I was truly her successor. She said to me, you don't know it yet, but your spirit guide, he's not only a spirit, he's actually a physical lion in this area of Tsimbavati where the sacred white lions are. But that, that white cub that was born that night had been stolen from the wild. Um, and so the white lions were now extinct in Tsimbavati. But she said to me, your lion guardian is, a, is, a, is the lion king of this region. He's a golden lion. And he's going to be the father of the future white lions. He's carrying the secret genetic code and he is going to bring them back to this region. And then the, the horrible, horrible twist of fate occurred when I learned that he was going to be trophy hunted. I learned it before the, the event happened. He was, you know, they put a bounty out on him and an identikit of, of him. And that, I, that means that they, they've actually tracked this particular lion because of his magnificence, wasn't it? Uh, Absolutely. And, and somebody paid 
How much money? Like, well, I, I hate to say it was an American trophy hunter. And they paid like they paid a fortune. They paid um, in 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 dollars. Um, let me see. In that case, he's a golden lion. They paid um, thirty thousand um, U.S. dollars. In the case of a white lion, it's it's a hundred and sixty-five thousand U.S. dollars. But somehow he was targeted, and he was the last golden lion to carry the secret code that would bring forth the white lion. A lineage. Um, and I try to stop it, but, you know, you can't use metaphysics on, on people who just think, you know, with, with monetary terms. So he was hunted to my absolute distress. And then I later analyzed the day of his death, which was the last day of the month of Leo, which as is the sunset, August, August 22nd. If you go and each month has an astrological sign, Leo is the lion. Absolutely. So he was, he was hunted on the last day. And then I later discovered it's the moment that the sun crosses the heart of the Leo constellation in the heavens, which through time immemorial was venerated, particularly by the ancient Egyptians, as the moment the king returns to the stars or the king is born on earth. So this wasn't a chance event, even though, you know, a, a brutal hunter killed him as a trophy. There was sacredness in this moment that I alone and Maria, you know, realized. So that just brings up that whole mystical quality. There's there's the reality, the trophy hunters and the the all, all of that that's going on in, in the saving these physical lions. And then there's this mystical tradition, and you mention it. There's some connection with Egyptian mysteries. Can you say something about that? Well, there's a profound connection between the white lions and the mysteries of Egypt. And if I give you a key into it, um, you know, I share with you that this place, Simbavati, the name Simba, Simba, Vati, means lion coming down from the stars, the place where the star lions came down. So it was actually a sacred site revered as such for hundreds of years before it was declared a protected area by modern presidents. And it just so happens that this site aligns exactly with Egypt in the north where the Sphinx has rested for millennia. Now, how is it that the only place on earth where the star lions have been born, aligns exactly where humankind's greatest riddle, greatest lion riddle, has been laid out in, in sacred geometry by the ancients. That is the key to the mystery behind the white lions. Right, right. Very, very interesting and provocative. Um, so let's go back a little bit to the... Um, you, you said that this... Lion was born that night, and that was the golden lion. And then there was another lion coming from his lineage that was born on in a place called Bethlehem. Uh, I, I didn't even know such a place existed outside of Israel. Uh, so mm -hmm. it in South Africa. So say something about. Myra. So, so what happened was, you know, that night where we were surrounded by the angry lions was the birth of the lost white lion in the wild. And then this lion 
cub was stolen because that's what was happening as people were stealing white lions from the wild, <clears throat> putting them in zoos and circuses around the globe. Siegfried and Roy, where did they get their lions? From this area. Um, and then they were putting Siegfried them. Siegfried and Roy are the uh, They're the performers. Las Vegas performers. And they have white lions and white tigers. It's a magnificent show that they put on for many, many years. But they got their white lions from this, this area. Um, and, you know, they're in captivity as they are all over the world. Anyway, that was the last natural birth of a white lion. And then there was a whole period of extinction of white lions in the wild. And once my golden lion, the father of the future white lions, was hunted, there was no prospect of them returning. But Maria said to me, although hunters are trying, although people are trying to destroy sacredness in nature, they cannot. God still exists in nature. And she said, you need to look out for the signs. You know, I was a Cambridge graduate, so I studied symbolism ancient symbols in Cambridge. And she said, you mustn't miss the signs. Well, a few months later, I learned that a white lion cub was born in Bethlehem on Christmas Day. The year was 2000. So it would be hard to miss the signs. But unfortunately, the little town of Bethlehem in South Africa is a trophy hunting stronghold. This is where they breed in critically endangered animals in cages to shoot them. So she was born in one of these killing camps. So that was the crisis that faced me, is the recognition that this was truly a sacred star lineage and the knowledge that I would have to dedicate the rest of my life to, to working uh, with this, this, um, this, this industry that was exploiting them as commodities. And then the, this enormous story of uh, you're, you're having to, to really pit yourself against, as you say, an enormous industry that is backed by big money. And, it, and, and, and politically, it's, it's, you know, politics, it's, it's, it's forming the bedrock of, of commerce, actually. And so how did you, how did you get, rescue this lion cub, this white lion? And I think she was blue-eyed, too. Is that right? I mean, that's what's so striking about the white lion. Many of them actually have blue eyes. It's just an amazing thing to see. So how did you rescue her? Well, just coming to the genetics and the blue eyes for, for the moment, of course, scientists you know, at first thought that these were al albino, but there was a scientific study in 1997 that established that they are the result of a very rare genetic code that still needed to be determined. Um, and so they are, if you, if you like, they are polar animals, like the polar bear, but in a sunny landscape. So my understanding is that they are actually precursors to possible uh, climate change in, in this very unstable um, time that we live in where, where there's a lot of threat of polar reversal and so on. They, they, are, um, they are nature's precursors here to protect us at a time of climatic change on Earth. And just the idea of, of lions and what they mean 
especially to humans, and we'll talk about that in just one moment. I, I'm here with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions, One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animal. And to find out more about her work and her work with the Global White Lion Protection Trust, you can go to the website whitelions.org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions. She's from South Africa. And Linda, let's talk about this first beautiful white lion, lioness, blue-eyed lioness that you really took on to save her life. That was your life assignment. And you took this on against all odds. I mean, what you came through to get her back out into the wild. Can you say a little bit about about that process? Well, from the day she was born, which was in Bethlehem on Christmas Day, to the day we finally succeeded to release her back into her ancestral heritage lands was six years of, of battle. I mean, there's no other word. It involved police raids. It involved gun battles, it involved uh, court action, um, press press campaigns, presentations to parliament, lots of corrupt officials, um, and, and, uh, and a fundraising campaign that was international. And I have to say, I know my publishers have done the, the, um, the subtitle of the book. They've called it One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animal. But truly, it hasn't been one woman's battle for a long time. I've had help from generous people all around the world um, uniting behind this for nearly two decades now. Mm-hmm. So it involved all that. All that. And I do want to mention uh, your publisher, North Atlantic Press, which is uh, here in Northern California. And, you know, for them to, to take on this book and to, to publish it, uh, I want to give accolades to them too. Um, when when you took it on and where you, as you say you were battling all of these different factions, Linda, what sustains you? What what gives you the resilience to hang in there year after year and with setback after setback and against the powers that be? It's very simple. It's just an overwhelming sense of love for. For first, for Mara, that was her name, Ma-Ra, Mother of Ra. That was the name she was given by the African elders who said she is the sacred one they've been waiting for. Incredible, overwhelming sense of motherly love for her. And that's what's driven this whole thing. I I believe love is the greatest force. Everything else ultimately dissolves in the face of it, you know, as any mother knows. So that's that's what's driven it. And that's what finally, six years later allowed for the moment that 
but her cage was opened and she returned to the wild with her own cubs. One of the synchronicities that happened that just really struck me, that that would happen last minute over and over and over, having you hang out there, hang out there until the very last moment uh, when you think all is lost and something breaks breaks open like a thunder came, Muriel Vince came suddenly out of the blue. But there was one time when there was some money transfer that was happening uh, for you to buy this piece of property where you could return these lions into their natural habitat. And you were in Santa Fe giving a talk. And do you recall this when you left the house and then suddenly remembered you forgot something? Can you tell that story? It was so amazing. Well, yes. I mean, it was all a knife's edge, whether we we were going to be able to secure the sacred lands um, because the trophy hunters were bidding against us. And it makes no sense to return an animal into an environment where she's going to be hunted. So we had to not only rescue her, we had to rescue her pride lands, the heart of her natural territories. So we, w- we were in a bidding war and magnificent friends in this part of the world, Santa Fe, I- I'd like to mention Brad and uh, Brad Lochlin and Leslie Temple Thurston of the organization Corelight. They were with me raising funds. We had a deadline. It was excruciating and, and it was not the 11th hour. It was the the 11th hour and what what is it? Uh, 59 seconds. Hour, 11th <laughs> hour, 59 minutes and, yeah. you know, 11 seconds. Yes. That's literally, we, we managed to get the transfer into the account as the, the, the doors of the Reserve Bank closed. And it's been that kind of uh, challenge all along the way. Um and I just just to tell our listeners, you had left the house and you had come back to get something, and your your friends of Corlight said, "Oh, there's a phone call for you." And if you had not come back, you would not have received that phone call to say, "Yes, I am Linda Tucker, and yes, this transfer should be made to give the bank permission." That's to, right. To do it. I had to authorize it. I had to show who I was. If I hadn't come back, it would have gone to the the, the opposing camp, if you like. Uh, in yeah. the last 45 seconds everything. or something. And I'd put, my, I'd put my lifetime savings into securing it. Other people had risked so much. And all that would have been lost. Contractually, anything we put down would have been lost. Um, so it was an absolute knife's edge. And then the other knife's edge is that once you 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 brought Myra, Myra into this place, she was in a smaller enclosure, and then you were ready to release her, and she had cubs with her by that time. She had four, three, 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 three cubs, uh, two male and a female. Were were they all white too? They were no. all white. All they white, were all white. All white like their mother, and. The other tension is, would she be able to hunt? Absolutely, because because she had had no training from her mother. She'd been held in, in terrible conditions, um, torturous conditions with humans. She was now six years old. Um, and this is the wilderness. This is, you know, it's not only prey um, who are at risk in a, the predator-prey relationship. Every hunting action 
is risky because every prey species has horns or hoofs or ways of protecting themselves. And I've seen I've seen a lioness die in the wild because her jaw was kicked by by a um, by a giraffe. So hunting is a dangerous thing. And she had no training, and she had to suddenly go into the wild and and hunt for her cubs. And say, Linda, your work is really different from, let's say, the the Adamsons, who are famous for that movie that was put out, Born Free. Your work is different in, in some way. Can you describe the difference? It's very different. So the Born Free, which everyone knows about, with that beautiful lioness called, called um, um, Frida, was it? I, I think so. Just, um, well, basically, that lioness, what she did was she showed humanity the love that exists in even the king of animals. So she crossed the species barrier and everyone around the world fell in love with her because they saw that animals have love, you know. So she charmed the world, but she was treated as a pet and and then she was returned to the wild. But since then, what has happened is that this whole industry, captive breeding industry, has realized that lions are loving animals and can be tamed and, you know, kept in cages. So they've turned that love that was shown to the world into a commoditizing, a brutal commoditizing industry where cubs are handled at birth. They're taken to shopping centers and petting parks. People handle them, pay to handle them. And those same cubs that are handled by the public are the ones that are later shot. Ah, it's so a- that is the travesty. I now remember the name of the born free lioness. Her name was Elsa. Elsa, Elsa. So how is your work different from that work? It's profoundly different because I believe that I, um, the important thing is to protect the wildness of nature in the ecosystem where everything is critically important to everything else. That's how it was created. So my work is to return the white lions to their natural system where they govern it as the apex predator. And that's the greatest unconditional love you can give any, any mother can give the one they love is not to hold on to them, not to pet them because, you know, that's what I want, but to free them because that is their nature. And when you say apex predator, what's the significance of that? That is hugely significant. If you can imagine the pyramid, like the Pyramid of Giza, and the golden tip of the pyramid, that is the apex predator. They are the tip of the food chain or the pyramid of life. Any ecologist who looks at an ecosystem will look to see the health of the predator because if they are not predators, the whole ecosystem falls apart. The predators regulate the prey, who then regulate the, the, the prey base, which is the food, um, you know, which is the, the grasslands. But if the predators aren't there, the, the whole balance is thrown out and the whole ecosystem collapses. And we've seen this, let's say, in Australia, where there's no predator for all the rabbits that we're, we're seeing that happen worldwide. And I, I'm, I'm curious, how was it for you, Linda, when you heard Myra's first lioness roar. It was one, it was truly one of the highlights in my life because 
That is the queen back in her kingdom, commanding her territory, you know, letting all of creation know that she is back. And once, once the queen returns to her kingdom or the king returns to his kingdom, order is restored in the natural, in the natural system and the human kingdom. That's what humans forget is that what happens in nature impacts on us completely. So this was a restoration of divine order on earth. And did she learn to hunt? Absolutely. She, she wowed all of us. Um, she obviously was very telepathic. So she was aware that we were all stressing that she would not command, you know, predatory behavior because my, my, my partner, as you mentioned, is a lion ecologist. And I mean, he was realistic. He was saying this lioness has been held behind bars for six years of her life. I mean, how can we expect her to re regain all those, you know, those natural uh, instincts? Well, she clearly heard our, our, our um, worries. And what she did was she left the three sub-adult cubs with us, um, and we were monitoring her in our vehicle, and she went on her own. How did we know that she um, was hunting? I mean, how do you know? Well, she, she left us proof that she was hunting. She left a sign. There were porcupine quills in her scat. We didn't want to interfere with her hunting, so we weren't trailing her in the Land Rover because that would have been an interference and would have alerted all the prey species to where she was because they'd see... Well, that's where the Land Rover is. That is where the lion is. But the, when, you, when you say she left them with you, it wasn't like you were next to them petting them or anything. No, no, no. 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 She, she, simply, she simply left them behind with an instruction to wait, clearly. That you got telepathically. Or, yes. Or yes. Well, you could see in their behavior. Their behavior. That they were, she had told them to wait. Yeah. And then she went off on her own. And she hunted successfully. And she left the proof for us by leaving a deposit that showed that she had hunted. Um, and I mean, we were ecstatic. We realized that she is, is, is gaining command of her natural territory. That must have been thrilling. I'm here with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions, One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animal. And I'd like to talk more about the sacredness of these white lions. Uh, but first, Linda, I would love for you to share with us something about 
What's going on, the economic reality of, in more detail, of the trophy hunting and what's going on in South Africa and in Africa in general? Well, the golden lion is under great stress and has uh, been declared a threatened species, which means that it can still be hunted. The white lion has no law protecting it at all in South Africa or internationally. It's more at risk than the golden lion, and yet it is critically, critically endangered. There are three prides of white lions in the wild who we introduced to the wild, including Mara's lineage. We now have three prides. And there are five individuals in the neighboring area, and that's it. Those are the numbers. What, when you say five individuals, what, what do you mean five by that? Five individuals in different prides in that region. So what, what I discovered is that this is about, let's see, this is 12 years after my lion was hunted in, in the wild. And what I realized is that although he was the last to carry the secret code and then he was hunted, he had been mating with the different females in the different prides. So he had passed on the secret genetic code to them. And two generations later, they were starting to have white lion cubs of his lineage again. So it, it often skips a generation so you don't see it right away. That, That's that right. It was That's successful. how the genetic works. The yes. genetics work. So that was successful. So Maria's prophecy about him being the progenitor of the white lions came true. 12 years later. However, where they are being born is this, this uh, private game reserve neighboring the Kruger National Park called Simbavati, and they may legally be hunted there. So the campaign continues. Um, what I'm doing on my, on my um, trip to the States is um, gathering signatures, and I've got thousands and thousands of signatures calling for the white lines to be protected by law. Um, because unfortunately, in South Africa, two years back, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of canned lion hunting, this terrible malpractice whereby lions may be held in cages and and captive lions may be shot. It's now legalized. And when you say two years ago, we're we're now in the early summer of 2013. So you're saying, that in 2011, a law was passed, and that has not changed so far, that they are saying it's legal to, even though these are even more endangered than the golden lions, because is this because of finances, because they're, they're, they, people pay more money for, for them as trophies? It's, what is it? I'm afraid that's exactly what it is. It's, 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 it's greed. It's gross material greed. Uh, without any acknowledgement of the cultural value, let alone the spiritual value of these magnificent animals. So, Linda, apartheid for humans has been disrupted, we'll say. It's not totally solved yet because this takes years and years, but it's well on its way. But there is a kind of apartheid going on for animals, and, and there's a way in that whole colonization that has happened, European colonization of, of other cultures, where, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is there a possibility that the native peoples of Africa 
have not been grown up in touch with their own heritage? That's that's actually the key to it. Remember, we mentioned that during apartheid, um, the native peoples were denied their heritage. So they've been kind of depossessed of it or dispossessed of it. And they've had to refine it again. But the the main people who are operating these um, these breeding killing camps are the same people who were perpetrating human rights crimes during the apartheid era. So, um, so it just transferred over. It's that, transferred that over. That's that's right. And so, animals do not have rights. Um, this can be changed by the um, the petition that we're putting out, and we're putting it out in tandem with AVAS, the International Advocacy Organization, and I've got nearly a million signatures putting pressure on our uh, our president to uh, put a prohibition in place. How you know, can people sign up that, for that petition? If they go onto my website, whitelions.org, they can sign up onto that petition. And anyone buying my book, is it's recorded as um, the public supporting our campaign to have the white lines protected by law. So we're using the book sales to say this is an international uh, pressure on our government to put a protection in place for the white lines. Linda, you are relentless in this. You mm. really did. How many years ago now? 1991 was that oh, incident. No. So it's, it's more, okay. like, more than two decades. Two yeah. decades that you yeah. have been on the front lines uh, for these precious, uh, as you call them, apex predators, uh, which are very important in our culture. Tell, talk about that importance. You've been on the front lines of saving them. Talk about their spiritual importance. Why, why should we care? Well, um, you know, we talk about the front lines, but what, what I do is I show a model uh, that really works, that can be um, that can be emulated by people. Rather than seeing it as a battle, I see it as a solution. And so, the model we've created is um, is humans living harmoniously with nature, but not taming it, not capturing it, not caging it, but living harmoniously with nature. And of course, the most inspirational uh, symbol of that is Maria Corsa, who could walk through the lions without harming them or caging them, but simply because she was lion-hearted, she respected them. And it's two very simple laws that can restore humans to that condition of connectedness that we all yearn for. And the one is love and the other is respect. And and Maria Corsa told me, if you if you honor those two simple rules, you will never be harmed in nature. It's, it's humans who have lost those two simple rules. So in our project, it's a scientific project, but it's also sacred science. And we show that it's, it's absolutely possible. So rather than seeing myself in battle with, with these forces who, who are killing the lions, I see myself as creating a model that they would actually like to be part of. Are you finding any, any of them coming over, starting to hit change of heart? I would like to think so. Yes. I would like to think so. And um, we are going to be putting a movie out on the story where one of the characters is a trophy hunter, but he converts because he sees how horrendous canned 
hunting is. You know, even a trophy hunter has ethics if they if they honor, you know, fair chase and, um, you know, f- freedom of, of the lions or, or of animals. But canned hunting has really no justification at all, in my view. Because canned hunting, it's not not out in the wild, really. There's it's everything is skewed in in favor of the hunter. Completely, the, the weaponry it's, it's, they're using, the the fact that the lion is not really wild, high caliber weaponry in a cage situation. It's just it's just hideous. Just really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have persevered. You you're hanging in there. Um, in, with your partner, and as you say, with lots of other people, is is the um, park that you have the reserve, the Timbavati Reserve, is that big enough for the three prides of lions to live together? Uh, well, it's we have the heart of their ancestral territories. Our long term objective, from a environmental point of view, is to secure the entire ecosystem. Uh, but the way we'd have to do that is to convert people into recognizing that nature has rights and the ecosystem needs to flow. So it's a long-term objective. But so far, so good. Yes, the three prides are absolutely um, flourishing. And we hope, with the legislation being changed, that any white lions that are born on our borders are safe from trophy hunters. And that's the other problem too. That if they they're close to the borders, people can can sneak in and and do some harm there. Well, you know the statistics are very serious. Um, it was originally thought that there were a hundred thousand lions in Africa. Recent census tells us that there are only eighteen left, and eighteen thousand. Eighteen thousand yes. left, and um, of all the trophy hunting taking place on the African continent, the majority, over 50%, is American trophy hunters. And the majority of lions in South Africa are in cages, not in the wild. These are terrifying statistics. However, what has changed since I've been doing this work is that the public has suddenly become a very powerful force. With the internet, with social media, Every individual can make a huge difference, and that's what we're harnessing. We are really making changes with the public. So I'm, 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 I'm encouraging everyone out there to recognize that you have a lion heart. You can stand up for what you believe in. You can make a difference. And if you want to assist me, I'd be very grateful. Thank you so much, Linda, for your wonderful work and for being with us today. I've been speaking with Linda Tucker. She's the author of Saving the White Lions, One Woman's Battle for Africa's Most Sacred Animal. And she is the founder of the Global White Lion Protection Trust. And if you'd like to sign up and and be of help, go to her website, whitelions.org. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3472. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can subscribe to our free weekly podcasts, 
find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive, and access many other resources for conscious living. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drazen. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.